0: whatever your past is, it's literally just a chapter in the book that is your life, meaning take the things, the experiences, the highs, the lows, the successes, more importantly, the failures, and pull every possible lesson, every possible thing you can out of those, because those will help you build a better, brighter, more fulfilling future, and then make sure that you get clear on what that future looks like. What do you want in life? Welcome to Pivot Me, where we give business tips and mental hacks so you can move past your biggest obstacles and live the life you've earned. And now your host, business advisor and performance expert, April Garcia.
1: For years, I made large companies larger and rich people richer. Now I coach driven entrepreneurs to hack success, create more time and get better results, make the time count. Don't count the time. Our guest today has quite a story of mistake, of tragedy, of forgiveness and grit. You do not want to miss this one. Kier Weimer is an expert in real estate, having founded and led multiple seven-figure companies in luxury real estate brokerage, hospitality development, investment, training, and event enterprises, though at the top of his game now, it didn't start out that way is going to share with us the moment when his life changed forever, when a tragic accident took the life of his friend and landed him in prison. His is a story of radical responsibility, of transformation, and now how he lives life to the fullest. Kier walks us through his story, how to overcome tragedy in our own lives, even if it's by your own hand, and how to rebuild. He is now focused on sharing his story, his expertise, his success through next-generation education and an information company. Grab yourself a cup of coffee, and let's get into this one. Welcome, Kier, to Pivot Me today.
0: Great. Excited to be here, too, April.
1: Kier, so we just read your bio. We know some of the amazing success that you had. Before we went live, though, we were talking about some pretty significant pivots You've had quite a tremendous backstory. If you would, could we just jump into what sounds like one of the most pivotal experiences in your life? If you could give some context to that and then how you've grown out of that.
0: Sure. Yeah. And thanks again for having me on. I'm really excited to have a conversation with you today. So, my life and the lives of several of my good friends changed pretty instantly when we were in college, senior year, about 15 years ago now. I think that just dated me. I was 23 at the time, and we were all having fun one evening on a lake. We decided to drive home, and we had all been drinking a little bit. and listened to music at a restaurant, and we got into a pretty horrific boat accident. I was driving. I was responsible, and a friend of mine passed away as a result. Several of my other friends were seriously injured and hospitalized, and suffice it to say, it was about the worst possible scene and and result of a fun seemingly innocent night among friends. And we were left to try to pick up and understand what the heck just happened and how do you move forward from there? As a result of what happened, I was sentenced to serve up to six years in New York state prison. So at 23, I was whisked away in cuffs and my life as I once knew it was completely gone. I became a number, became a property of the state, and I entered a whole new world of corrections and what would become a odyssey of self-realization, of atonement, of learning and growing, and of really coming into a new version of myself. And unfortunately, it took the worst possible tragedy for that to happen, but being forced out of your world, out of your day-to-day, out of your freedom, and being sent to prison, frankly, at 23, was the best thing that ever happened to me because it allowed me a chance now, which ultimately was three and a half years that I served. It allowed me a chance to to sit back and to reflect on what happened, to realize that that accident was the culmination, was not just an accident, to realize that I was uniquely and singularly responsible for what happened. And then to take responsibility for that, to take accountability and ownership and to hit an extreme bottom about a year in when I realized that I had an alcohol problem, that I had to get serious about what happened, that I had to never drink again, to honor my friend's memory and to also set myself up for a life of contribution and positive things when I was finally released back to society. So at that moment of epiphany, when I was 24, I guess now a year in, in this extreme environment of negativity and vice and darkness, I started to see some light. I started to see what would happen at the end of that tunnel if I started to get serious about myself, started to reinvest in myself, started to, you know, really grow and learn in any way I could. And that's, literally when it started. And every day since then has been a day of growth, a day of learning, of realization, of maturing. And, you know, it's been a long journey. It's been 15 years. I just celebrated, let's see, 14 years clean and sober. And that's been the bedrock of everything that I've been able to build. And I'm super grateful to have a chance to just do that, to live a different life because that accident, my time away, informed everything and changed my worldview, changed my value system, um, helped me get back to who I really was, and helped me to learn to live a life of responsibility and contribution and not one of carelessness and being a kid that thought this actually could never happen to us.
1: Sure. Kira, thank you so much for walking us through that and also so vulnerably. appreciate it. I want to ask about the things that changed for you when you were in prison and how that pivot happened. But before then, I'm curious, I would assume during that night, at what point did you realize what had happened or that everything was about to change?
0: Yeah, I think it was for me getting some actual education in substance abuse, meaning I was forced to go into a kind of a rehab program in prison. So it was around that education, you know, those resources, the materials I was reading, I was going to AA meetings and I was never really religious growing up, pretty agnostic, secular household, but was always like kind of playing with my spirituality and trying to understand myself at a deeper level. And so I was a little bit open to that. And then I started to become more open to that. And then finally I realized, oh, wow, the stories and the narratives I've been telling myself and those close to me have been been telling me to make it easier are actually untrue. Um, I actually was uniquely responsible for this accident. Like I actually had the power to tell my friends and I that we're not going to drive home under this state. I actually had the power to change the fate of that evening. And I failed to do that. Right. So like when I took responsibility and ownership over that and just finally forgave myself and it was one of those like literally like it's raining outside. I'm in the cell like and it's kind of like a coming to Jesus, even though I'm not religious. I just had this spiritual otherworldly awakening that evening about a year. in after all those things I just mentioned happened and from there, it was just like this moment of clarity. I kind of knew what I needed to do and I forgave myself because that was step one. I said, okay, we can't change what happened, but you didn't mean to do that. It wasn't intentional, it wasn't malintentioned, but like you have a chance now, right? There's a fork in the road, what are you gonna do? Are you gonna let this actually claim two lives, or are you gonna like repurpose yours to do something good and meaningful with it? And luckily I chose the latter and I've been working tirelessly since to make sure that I honor that commitment.
1: Sure. So you were saying that the first step was forgiving yourself, but I heard a step before that, which was taking responsibility. And you were saying that what the narrative that had been said beforehand was kind of counter that? Was it that some were trying to remove responsibility off of you? I mean, what did that look like?
0: I think it was a little bit of what a common mechanism we have to cope with time and tragedy, which is rationalization, justification or minimization. So I was getting all of that from those around me, meaning like those things like it could have happened to anyone or I've been in that situation too, or don't beat yourself up or this or that, right? All those things that we're told and that we end up internalizing and telling ourselves. But at the end of the day, that's all a bunch of bullshit because like it happened to me, it happened to us. I was the driver. I could have avoided it. It was preventable, right? So when I started to step into like the actual truth of what happened, I started to get just face-to-face with what happened. And then I had a choice like, okay, you did this. You needed to serve time. My friend's family wanted you to serve time. You're now serving time and you're paying that back, but you can never change what happened. So now what do you do with that? Well, you have an option, right? And it's like repurpose or let that keep you in a space of negativity, of self-sorrow, of self-sabotage, of shame and guilt. Or we can turn over to this other side, the side of light, right? Which is forgiveness, which is redemption, which is growth, which is opportunity, which is contribution and giving back. And that's the side I turned to. It was hard in there because there was a lot of negativity. There was a lot of forces trying to keep you down There was drugs and alcohol everywhere and just as much abundance as there was in the free world. But I was not going to go back to that. I was not going to go back to that way of thinking and that way of living. And I think for me, it was like I almost created a system of living and committing to that way of living, which was free and clear and sober for one, ruthlessly accountable and responsible too. And then like hyper-focused and committed to my vision for the future, not knowing what method or path it was going to take, not knowing how I was going to kind of reinvent myself or have society hopefully give me a second chance. None of that, the how was clear, but I knew that why and like the, what was starting to get really clear. And that was exciting. So that gave me some hope. And then I just started first things first, like started working out, started reading a lot, started writing my first book, started going to these meetings, started to speak in there to GED classes and to college kids that would come in. It started to just like find productive outlets for my time. So I didn't serve time in a way I like utilize time. And I actually wish I could show you this. I have a picture on my wall that my, it's such an important quote for me. My late father passed away about five years ago. My best friend, biggest supporter, even when I didn't deserve it, would come visit me every weekend. And he said one quote really, really early, my first few weeks in there. And it was, you know, Kier, I want to make sure that you don't count time, but you rather make time count. And that stuck with me. And it was a driving force for me to seize and utilize every waking moment in there to just get better and to make it count. So I really feel like, and I look at this quote every day in our office here, that that's what I did. And it started to then turn that time, which is by all measures, usually a very negative time, it actually became very positive. It was very enlightening. It was very uplifting. And when I was finally released, I was able to hit the ground running in a state of consciousness, emotion strength that I just never had before.
1: It's amazing to me that you would have this much awareness and insight at such a young age. I mean, in a time where so many people would have just spent the time either beating themselves up or feeling sorry for their bad luck or the bad situation that occurred, that you took this opportunity to have this amazing growth and and refocus everything around contribution. You mentioned going through the AA program. Was it the program? Was there a particular person? Was it your father? Like, What was the catalyst for all that?
0: Yeah, that's a good question. I think it was several things and influences. My father was a big one, a key one. He was always just kind of a beacon for me of strength, of character, of values, of morality. And I feel like I'd really let him down and was ashamed of kind of who I'd become and the accident of what had happened. And that was a big driving thing was that, I guess, chip on my shoulder in a way to just be accepted and to grow in forgiveness through the eyes of my father but also through the eyes of my friend's family and through the eyes of society. So that was a big thing. I think I'd always been pretty willful as a child, sometimes to my detriment, but I was always like, whenever I put my mind to something, I just was like all in hyper-focused and laser committed. And so now that I got away from that way of living, which was more careless lifestyle, out having fun in college, You think this is normal, but in retrospect, it's not. Now, when I was focused on my productive outlets and uses of my energy focus, it started to change my just entire life, really. And so I think it was a lot of those influences. It was father. It was a little chip on my shoulder. It was shame. It was my ability to just focus my energy to whatever it is and go all in. And now those were always like productive outlets.
1: Sure, I love that you talked on forgiveness because I think a lot of times we think of forgiveness as something that we extend to someone else. And pivoters who are listening, they're high performers, they have a lot of success, but we've all made mistakes, and not to undermine the situation, but some of us made huge, significant mistakes. How did you walk through that process of forgiving yourself? So for someone who's listening right now that maybe needs to extend some forgiveness to themselves, how did you do that?
0: Yeah, that's a great question too. It didn't come quickly. It took, like I said, every bit of a year to be in there going through the, I guess, the day-to-day of life in a very constrictive way. Like very extreme atmosphere. It took a lot of self-reflection. It took a lot of time just to be myself, be alone in solitude. But it took space. It took creating space, right? Both physically, emotionally, and psychologically. And then creating some perspective, right? Being able to get out of yourself, your you know your ego for a bit, I and mean, kind of look down on yourself and your life, and see like who you are today and who you want to be tomorrow, and realize unless we let go of some of those past things that we internalize that take up space in our psyche and our, our soul, unless we release those, and we can only do that through this amazing thing called forgiveness, they tend to really limit our ability to reach our potential, right? To step into our fullness, to, you know, realize what we're fully capable of, because we hold on to those things. Those narratives I talked about earlier, those feelings of shame and guilt, inadequacy, I'm never going to be enough, or, oh, my God, I'm only going to be noticed the kid who got in the accident. How am I ever going to get hired or start a business or get a loan or whatever, right? Those things literally, if not checked, released through forgiveness and other things, they can't determine our future and our entire life, right? I was not ready to let that happen. And I was committed to a life of expansion and opportunities, even though I was coming from... A very difficult past now. And I was gonna have the scarlet letter on my back. I just wasn't gonna let it define me and the rest of my life. And I knew that started with forgiveness.
1: Yeah, that's incredibly powerful for someone who's listening right now. So when I think about the scarlet letter, I mean, how do you navigate that, Cure? Like how do you navigate when you're out and you're ready to kind of re-enter the workforce, life, the social situations? That had to have been a lot of a series of very difficult conversations. How did you manage that?
0: yeah boy that was tough paid some context i was released about nine years ago to my parents custody so i was almost 30 years old living at home with a curfew at eight o'clock with no driver's license completely broke on parole having to report to my parole officer no job trying to still finish my college degree because they suspended me i don't list these things for any kind of like sympathy or i list these things because it was like oh crap You made it through one very tough chapter, but you've got another equally tough one in different ways. So now what are we going to do, right? And I had to just marshal that strength again. I had a lot of walls in the journey that I had to find a way through. Not around, not over, but like through. One of them was getting denied parole when I was in there. One of them was then getting released and figuring out how I deal with life again. The next was dealing with all the rejection letters I got from graduate school. I applied to, I think, seven or eight schools trying to get my JD MBA because I thought that was my way to reintegrate into society is go back to school and academia, a safe place where I knew I could just apply myself and my hunger to learn and grow. And well, the universe and admissions committees had another idea because not one of them let me in, even though I made the story and kind of my pivot, no pun intended to this new life and new way of living, a central theme. It didn't matter. Nobody let me in. That was another big wall. It's a huge wall. I remember reading that last letter. That would have been about, yeah, eight years ago. Last rejection letter last school. And I was like, oh my, oh my God, like what, what am I going to do now? Like, I don't have a job. I'm still on I have No way since I'm broke. I need to move out of my parents' house. I need to try to launch into the world as an adult. And at that point, that's actually ties into what we just talked about before the call started is at that point, I had this. Other moment of epiphany, and it was this, I need to be an entrepreneur in every sense of the word. I cannot let my fate from a hiring manager, an admissions committee, a company, a recruiter be in the hands of any of those people because they will, in a society that judges based on past and history more than we care to admit, can't let myself be denied opportunities for the rest of my life. So the only way to safeguard against that is to create my own path to find a way forward to be an entrepreneur. So at that moment, I literally decided that I committed and I went all in and I thought, okay, well, where do you start to be an entrepreneur, right? There's no like handbook for this. I said, oh, what do I like to do? What do I go to school for? And what do I see opportunity in? And I said, well, I like real estate. I've always been interested in real estate. I went to school for business. So where do you start in real estate? Oh, well, I guess you just get a license and learn contracts and properties and go from there. So that's what I did. I got a license. On well, my first year in real estate as an agent <laughs> with not one sale, forty thousand dollars in debt, credit cards, family loan, not one sale. I was literally pulling my hair out, April. I was like now almost two years out. I'm I feel like just an utter failure, another big wall. And that was a tough one I had to break through. And I had to like shake myself and learn the lesson of the playbook that is our history, which is, hey, dude, you've been here before, you've been harder stuff. You went through three and a half years in prison, you made it through parole, you made it through reintegration and release. You'll get through this, don't give up, even though all the pressure was, dude, you got to get a real job. You got to go get salary. You can't be on commission work when you need to pay the bills and you're a year in. I mean, who does anything for a year and doesn't get paid? Nobody, they quit, right? (laughs) Entrepreneurs do, Kira. Entrepreneurs do, you're right. I got to learn by doing it, bash my head in a few times, a wall before I learn but here's the beauty in this, is that that 13th month, the first month of the second year, house sold, and then the next one sold, and then the next one. And that second year, I went from bottom of the market to top of my company out of over 85 agents. And then the next year, I started a team. We were top out of, I think, two or 3,000 agents. And all of a sudden, within literally 18 to 24 months, I like it just, everything started to happen. And that was the beginning of the launch point. And it only happened from not giving up when I was on like the two yard line, because most people would have left the industry like they do because there's a lot of attrition when they weren't getting results. And I just, that goes back to that lesson. Like I was not gonna give up on myself.
1: Yeah. So, Kier, I love this story. Actually, before I want to point out something, we talk about on Pivot Me about this attaboy folder where essentially it's this collection of things that either you've been successful at or things that you overcome. And we draw on that in times of crisis, in times of doubt, lack of, you know, crisis of confidence, things like that. And what I heard was you've got this really substantial attaboy folder of like, look, I've overcome some of the most difficult things that a person can overcome. And I get to to draw on that strength when I am tested. Like, oh, well, I've overcome things in the past. I can overcome this. And I love that you were able to draw on this. One thing I'm curious about is now you have your willingness to tell the story. You've embraced the story, but I would imagine this story of, of these tragic events. I would imagine there was a time when you wanted to run from this story. Was there?
0: Yeah. I mean, it was probably right. The first year out, even though very quickly after that first year, I actually got back in front of the story, meaning I started to speak at Stop DUI programs, former high school colleges. And I actually started to speak with my friend's mother, uh, my friend who passed her mother and spoke on a few stages to help prevent these types of accidents to reach kids that were in a young, more vulnerable state. And through her leadership and pioneering, we actually were able to get a law passed in the state of New York, Tiffany's Law, to help prevent these types of accidents from happening. So I think... Pretty quickly I started to get back in the conversation, not to run from it. Like many people again, advised incorrectly now in hindsight, why don't you just move someplace where nobody knows you, why don't you change your name? He's like, no, I'm gonna face this. This is part of my story, part of who I am. And now it's like, people should judge me on who I am today, hopefully, and where I'm going tomorrow. Not just on that full decision when I was 23. So I went back to the same small town in upstate New York where this happened. And I tried to start a career. That's where I tried to start in real estate. Everybody knew who I was. And it wasn't the kid who was getting into real estate. It was the kid who got in that boat accident four or five years ago. That was the the letter. That was the reputation. That was what preceded me. And it was tough because a lot of people probably didn't want to do business with me, didn't give me a chance. And that was fine. And I probably deserved that. But there was an overwhelming amount of people, the majority that did, that gave me a chance that said, you know what? action speak louder than words. Let's see what this kid's about. Maybe he's serious. And Every month that went by, every year that went by, just helped that story, narrative. And I think pretty early after getting out, I did want to be in front of it and I didn't want to shy away. And I was able internally, because I had forgiven myself, to speak in front of people about it, to go on to a couple of podcasts like we're doing now and to speak about it rather than bottle it up. Because I do think that there's lesson, there's strength, there's inspiration in this story. And it's one that should, like many tough ones, be told and not be bottled up.
1: You know, what's interesting here is as I'm thinking about this, and I'm sure you did get lots of advice of just move, move, change your name, like put this all behind you. I'm sure that was overwhelmingly the advice that was given to you. But what strikes me right now is then no one would have got to learn from your story. No one would have got the lessons Or be able to draft off of your inspiration, your forgiveness, your your cautionary tale, all the iterations of your story. If we hide our story, if we hide our biggest mistake, then nobody gets to learn the lessons from that.
0: That's a very good point. Wow. So if we don't put ourselves out there, if we're not vulnerable and if we're not willing to share, it's almost like it was only a lesson for us. And that, in my opinion, right, is no way to live because I want to contribute support and inspire people far beyond those that are in my immediate circle, like my friends and family that really know this story, right? That really know that vulnerable side. So I agree with that.
1: Yeah, that's what I was striking. I'm thinking, I'm so glad that you made that decision. That incredibly courageous decision, like let's just call it what it is, is the other path was easier. The other path of getting released from prison, doing your time, paying your dues, and then saying, I need to just put this behind me as far as I can. That path would have been easier. You chose the harder path, but you chose the path with the most impact. I I just got to commend you for it. That's amazing.
0: Yeah. Thanks. Yeah, it was not easy, but I think it was the right decision for sure.
1: Yeah. So what happens if you wouldn't have gone to prison? Like, how does your life look like if the event would have still happened, but that time in prison wouldn't have occurred?
0: Jeez. I've thought about that before, and it's pretty scary because I think, like I said before, you know, the accident was the worst possible tragedy that could have happened from a night of seemingly innocent fun among college kids to this horrible tragedy, but getting taken away was actually the best thing that's ever happened to me because it allowed me to change. Right. It allowed me to evaluate, allowed me to mature, allowed me to reflect and allowed me to recommit to a future. And I was grounded in sobriety and living free and clear of vices, of mind-altering substances, of things that would make me make a decision that was contrary to the way in which I was raised and the values that I knew and really held deep down. And so for me, I needed that. I don't think I could have done that on my own. I think I had to have that outside force do it. And it doesn't mean over time I couldn't have, but I needed that because I don't want to know where I'd be today. I'm I'm pretty positive I wouldn't be here talking with you. I'm pretty positive I wouldn't have built the companies and the impact and the teams that I've been grateful to have had a chance to do. Um, I'm pretty sure that all of it's happened in just eight, seven or eight now, about eight working years, because I didn't start, you know, working when I was 30-ish. So yeah, about eight years. I don't think any of that would have happened. And I don't want to know where I'd be. I think it'd be a far different place and not one that I would be so willing to talk about.
1: Yeah. All right, we've got some awesome news today. The YouTube relaunch is here now. Never seen before footage of our actual interviews. You're going to watch the video of me sitting down with Jay Abraham and asking him, what the hell are us entrepreneurs doing wrong? We've got footage of me talking to Cameron Harold and him telling the story of the rave he went to in his forties. Footage of when John Lee Dumas from Entrepreneurs on Fire told us that we aren't perfectionists. We're cowards. We have it all captured and we are pumped to share it with you today. Go to YouTube and put in April Garcia, pivot me and join in. See me thank Sharon Lecter in real time for writing the Rich Dad, Poor Dad series because the series of books helped guide me when I was 20 into becoming a real estate investor. And listen in when I asked several of our high-performing guests the very tough question of, hey, how do you personally self-sabotage. We made this for you. So join in at YouTube and subscribe so you will see when new videos are released. It'll be every Tuesday. You'll actually get notified. So take 10 seconds and do it now. Grab your phone. If you're on a desktop, do it there. Go to YouTube and enter April garcia pivot me or enter the url directly at youtube.com backslash april garcia pivot me and please support us by giving us that thumbs up and subscribing we recently became partners with youtube and that really matters you're gonna love these videos so earlier you talked about forgiveness and then you mentioned that it sounds like you'd established a relationship with her mother I would imagine that was quite a bit of forgiveness or work on her behalf. Do you still have that relationship? What did that look like?
0: Yeah, that I mean, the amount of strength that goes into her willingness to even talk to me after what happened is pretty remarkable reflection of her character. She forgave me. She said up my sentencing, but wanted me to still serve time, which I totally understood. And she forgave me afterwards and reached out actually a few years After I was out when I was speaking and there was some media that covered it, I think, and she got wind of it and she was, I guess, impressed that I was doing that and wanted to talk. And so we met and we started to build a little bit of a connection and a friendship there. We ended up speaking on a few stages together. I attended a couple of her events at the legislature in New York to help get the law lobbied and passed. It was a pretty extraordinary out-of-body experience, I I never would have expected that. And I was grateful that she was open to it and approached me.
1: Yeah. I'm just thinking about how earlier we talked about that you were in a fork in the road where you could either forget this ever happened or just totally withdraw, or you could make it matter and live a life of contribution and go out there and speak to people and, and change their paths. It sounds like whether you're the one who made the mistake or whether you're the victim of the mistake, you're faced with the same decision. And it sounds like, you know, I don't want to speak for her, but that she made the difficult decision of I'm going to make this matter and I'm going to do the most work that I can to help stop this from occurring in the future to someone else's family. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah,
0: exactly. And that was remarkable.
1: It's powerful. It's powerful. Kira, have you connected sort of emotionally to the people that you've spoken to. You've gone around and spoke about what happened. Like have you connected to how many people that you've saved by sharing your story?
0: I mean, I have, and when I do speak, it's pretty just powerful. I mean, in terms of the people that I chat with afterwards, the parents, the kids, the other people that come up. And I mean you can hear a pin drop in there. It is a very difficult story, a, a tough one. It certainly causes pause and reflection. So I do think it hits home with a lot of people in terms of the numbers. I, I don't really know, but I know that it's a, a very important message to get out there. And I'm trying to recommit now post pandemic where more of these chances will arise to getting back and speaking in more places. I also tried to, through my personal story and through my multimedia company Make, a part of what we do in our coaching and in our other programs because of the inherent lessons in there Uh, and so I, i am trying to make that available and to connect with people on that level because i think when you are extremely vulnerable right and when you talk about your darkest your toughest your most shameful time in life it does tend to engender the same in somebody else and it tends to unearth some of those things that we might ordinarily suppress more And it allows us a chance and a space to get a little bit more honest, you know, with ourselves and come to terms with some things that might be either bothering us, holding us back, or that need to be explored further.
1: Yeah. And we keep it to ourselves. The only person that benefits is us. Yeah. If we've got the courage to share it, we have the opportunity to let a lot of other people benefit from what happened.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: How has it changed the way that you interact with people? Whether it's the way that you understand people, perhaps the way that you forgive people. I mean, you've got a very unique perspective on this. I would imagine you see people differently because of this situation.
0: Yeah, totally. Well, I'll tell you, I'm like the last person that you'll ever get like a judgment from. Um, <laughs> meaning I'm not in a position to judge anybody or any, anything. So I'm very not judgmental now, very kind of unbiased in terms of any prejudice going into a conversation, a meeting, an expectation. I try to not live with regrets or preconceived notions or expectations because everybody does have a story. Everybody has trauma in their past. Everybody has some demons that they're working through and everybody has a side to them that is probably not readily apparent, right? To the image that we project and the optics of our kind of veneer. So I'm like uniquely attuned to that now more so than I ever was.
1: Yeah. Everyone has a chapter of the book that they don't read out loud, right? Yep. That's that's interesting. Wow. I'm just trying to put myself so sort of kind of in the aftermath and then how I would construct my life. I'm trying to, as best as I can, kind of put myself in that situation. And I can't help but think I would feel like a fire was lit under me, like almost like time was chasing me to make the most of my time on earth. Do you have a little bit of that?
0: I do. And it's largely been a positive force, but it does create a little bit of inability to sit still. I've always been kind of go, go, go. I'm even more so now. I mean, I work probably 80 to 90 hours a week, uh, generally seven days a week. I'm trying now with a new time block calendar and my great coach, one of many, which we can talk about later, you know, the team that you're supported by means everything, but we're trying to really create a one day week, Sunday, just free off the grid, no work where I can just weigh into my hobbies, be out skiing hiking mountain biking unwinding right maybe a little bit of time planning for the week but largely just not working i run several pretty successful high growth businesses in technology real estate and uh, multimedia and we've got you know collectively over 50 employees now and just a lot of people that rely on me and on the company and on our ability to grow so there's that pressure there's the anxiety of just being responsible for that much that many people obviously pivoting Luckily, successfully through COVID created some anxiety and just to be honest, my experience being away and now realizing that I am lucky to even be here, and whatever reason, whoever kept me and whatever kind of explanation lies behind the fact that I'm here is a charter, is a mandate for me to take like every moment and just make the best of it and find a way to give back, to be utilizing this time here in the best, most productive way possible. And that is largely, along with my ambition, fuel a lot of this growth and achievement. But part of that right can be detrimental. There's a detrimental side, which is never just quieting down and like slowing down and stopping for a minute. So I'm working on that part of it, but largely it's been a very positive force.
1: Sure. I was thinking it's my imagination that it would be easy for you to feel like you have to earn your right to be here. And that could lend itself to 90-hour work weeks.
0: Yeah. I think it's that. It's a little bit of that. Inadequacy, like we talked about, the imposter. Like, why me? Why am I allowed to do this? How have I gotten here? Like, why do I even have these opportunities? Right? Because of that, I think extreme forgiveness early on. Because of some other work I've done with some really talented people, I think for me it's been a little bit easier to kind of, I guess, have that sense of peace and that sense of calm with what. Um, has been laid in front of me with the opportunities I've also created and the things we're able to create together on these you know teams and these companies. But yeah, it's definitely always there. There's a little bit of that anxiety of always go, go. You know, we only have one shot at this thing. Um, life is fragile at any point. I'm mean, uniquely aware it can end. So it's kind of like, let's just not take any of it for granted.
1: Kira, I'm thinking about the companies that you've scaled and the, the teams that you have. I'm curious if you think that the individual contributors, the individual teammates, do you think that because you're so vulnerable, because you've shared, you know, the mistakes that you've made in the past, and again, we've we've all made many mistakes, and most of us don't have the courage to share them so openly. Do you think that different people are attracted to you, to work for you, or to do business with you, or partnerships?
0: Great question. I think yes. I think for, because it is very readily available online, right? People just Google my name and you'll see a lot of things about this. I don't run from it as we've discussed. It sometimes comes up in a hiring process if somebody brings it up or makes a comment, or I sometimes bring it up, although not usually. But I do think it does because it shows a level of like world view, but also world experience. And it shows a level of maturity, I think. And so it also shows to your point a level of vulnerability. And people want to know that they're in a space where they can be vulnerable, where there's an open feedback loop, where people are not judged and graded or valued based on where they've come, but we're more supported and we're more kind of rewarded based on who we are today. And most importantly, who we're becoming tomorrow, right? Where we're headed. And so like we actually at our team, my boutique hospitality company, we're owner operator of a lot of hotels and resorts. We employ handful of people that have a criminal record that have felonies, And one of which I actually met when I was away and he's the one friendship I really brought out of there and stayed in touch with. He's actually our construction manager on our team at Weekender, the hotel business. And I'm really happy and excited and grateful to say that because he is so committed to bettering his life, himself and his family. It's amazing to see. And it's kind of cool to see that we're able to both do that together. And I think he was drawn to this opportunity to this company and to me through my vulnerableness, right? Through my, through my willingness to put myself out there. And then the things that we've been able to create as a result of that is attractive. It does attract uh, certain people.
1: Yeah. It's interesting because i heard you mention a uh, couple of times, I'm wondering if that's part of your core values for your businesses. Like if you actually have it stated or is it kind of implied that that's a core value to you?
0: No, it is. It's kind of just like come as you are. Like you're not going to be judged. We care about you know your values today. We care about where you're headed. We care about your vision. We care about what's important to you now. But like we all have a past. We all have a chapter. We all have things we're not proud of. I don't really care about that. I care about like what lessons did you take from that? I care about like what did you learn? Like did you grow and become stronger for it, or does it define and dictate how you live and who you are today for in, in a negative way? That's what I care about.
1: Yeah, no, that, that's incredibly powerful. That's As you were talking earlier, I'm like, there's going to be teammates that are absolutely attracted to you and your companies because of this story, because of your vulnerability. I love it. So not only attracted to come work for you, but probably also encouraged to be a little bit more visible about their story. So I just think the the positive ripple effects are so many, innumerable, and probably many of them aren't even perceived though definitely there so talk to me about this transition from you know coming out of this and reframing it and managing the narrative and then building successful businesses. Like we talked about the first year, the lean year, I was think about like three feet from gold and most people just stop swinging because they don't know that gold's just on the other side. So what did you do? I heard managing the narrative, that's a huge part. Many people think they need skill set. Oftentimes we need mindset. Tactically, what did you do? Was it reading books? Was it getting mentors? How did you make that leap from where you were to a successful business owner?
0: Yeah, I think it's funny because I feel like I was into exploring and creating my own systems of personal development and self-help and optimization before it was kind of like really mainstream.
1: Sure. You were in a personal development before it was cool?
0: Well, yeah, I kind of think <laughs> so. I mean, it's obviously been around as a kind of discipline, right? And an area of study since, I mean, one of obviously the people that probably you and I draw from is Napoleon Hill, right? Who back in you know early 20th century was writing on things that now are like, just basic bible principles of like what it takes to be our best personally professionally what it takes to attract and manifest you know the goals and things are important to us but you know for me when i was in there and that was now in almost 10 years ago now i was you know reading everything i could get my hands on the classics of the western world the western canon i was writing my first book i was you know working on my spiritual side i was understanding and building a secular agnostic system of staying clean and sober so that I could make sure I didn't go back to that way of living when I was released. And then when I got out and I started to see how the world changed, because remember when I went in there, I had a razor. When I got out, there's iPhones. I was like, oh shit, what just happened? So it's like all this tech changed in just four years and like all this new content was out and there was these things called podcasts, right? And there was like all this stuff that I had never seen or heard of. And so I came out and I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. So I went even further. Down the rabbit hole of that and i started to read as much as i could in this space right to optimize and understand my mindset and how to hone it i started to you know attend events right i've been to several of the tony robbins events we chatted about um other people in the space that i look up to like Brennan burchard i ended up getting certified as a high performance coach and then the thing that's really helped me is make sure that while i am a coach and a mentor and somebody who helps others through my experiences my failures and successes I'm also always a student of Minecraft. And I'm a student of the world. And I'm a student of learning and never stop stopping to learn. And that was instilled from my father and my mother, both of which are academics, came from that world in academia. And that's the idea of like education is not a degree. It's not finite. It's not something that you do for the sake of doing. It's something that you commit as a way of living. And so for me, that's like a way of living, literally. And so it never stops. So right now. The thing that I'm excited about most in terms of that personal development and optimizing is I built like this world-class, what I would call executive support team, but it's like part personal, part executive. So I have coaches in every possible facet you can think of from my entrepreneurship coach to an accountability coach, to an amazing fitness trainer, to an awesome genomic nutritionist, to this uh, anti-Western medicine, like new age primary care physician, to... God, what else? Yoga and mindset. I got trained in transcendental meditation. Long story short is I put together a team that supports me in all of these areas to just be my best, to like find that next edge, to continue to live better, to be more present, to be healthier. And to kind of, that's part of the ambition to be the type A is to chase that like next best version of myself.
1: Yeah. That's amazing. I love this idea too, that education is something that you do. It's just a way that you live. If we think about it in terms of personal development, so there's obviously higher education, but personal development, it's not something you ever graduate from. And I think we kind of get caught in this idea of eventually I get good enough that I don't need this. Eventually I get to that imaginary level that's, okay, I'm good enough there. We are always supposed to be chasing the next version of ourselves. And if we don't, we often feel unfulfilled. You know, progress is found in fulfillment, right? Or fulfillment is found in the progress. We stop progressing we start feeling less and less fulfilled. But I think it's just a good reminder that love, you went in with a razor, come out and people have smartphones. I mean, that's a huge leap. It's just, I mean, the technology advances alone and you made up for that and so much more. Essentially four years of your sort of technical advancements, educational advancements, or at least academia, all was removed for four years. And yet you made up for that and so much more. I mean, that, that's a powerful story of overcoming. Yeah. I'm just thinking about the amount of work that that had to take on. And now you've got coaches and you've got mentors and you've got these experts that you draw in to be the best version of yourself. Now, if someone's listening right now and. You know, maybe they identify with that piece of that desire to be the best version of them. What would you say to them? Like, this is how you can do this. If you're chasing after that next version of you, what's some practical things you would tell them to do to get there?
0: Yeah, good question. I'd say, one, it's good to be really honest and self reflective. So, like taking stock and inventory. I have a little exercise that I do usually twice a year, which is kind of like just getting a little bit free form. Like, where am I at today? were things that I've really worked on recently that have you know increased my strengths, were some of my um, areas of improvement that I could go more all in on, that I could find some help on, that I could maybe even delegate more to or even step out of. So I do that personally, professionally, like take a st- like an inventory of stock where you're at today, then start to like map out, okay, well, what is that ideal version of me? What is the best cure, right? What is the best version of April? What does that look like? And not physically, but but that could be a characteristic. You know, fitness is important, right, to all of us. What does that literally look? So that could be in the you know major categories like financially. Where do you want to be, right? And I do this over a one, three, five, and ten year, and it's usually like an end of the year. Usually takes one to two weeks because I have like if you saw my goal planning, setting, and vision process, it's insane. It's like and google docs it's like this whole framework it's a but it, it really works and i love it but I'm a little more sophisticated than it needs to be but anyway it over two weeks i do that right so it's taking stock it's being honest and hyper reflective it's understanding the destination where you want to go who do you want to become right in this next year three five ten years and that's in major categories like where do you want your spiritual journey to take you where do you want to be financially right with your net worth your passive and active income where do you want to be in your business in terms of impact? team size, headcount, revenue, all these major areas, right? Like if you have big goals, you need to make sure they're articulate. You need to make sure they're written down. You need to make sure they're clear because otherwise how the hell are you going to reverse engineer a plan to get there, right? You need to clearly the two ends of any vector in life. And that is where you are today and where you want to be tomorrow.
1: I love it. I love that you're also talking about being connected to the what, not the how. Everyone gets lost in the tyranny of the how, like, well, how am I going to do this? No, 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 no. Just paint a very, very clear, very detailed picture of where you're headed. And the how kind of works itself out. But first you got to start with the what and don't get lost in the like, well, I want five businesses, but I can barely handle these two I've got right now. You reverse engineer it. You start at the end and then you think of a step right before that and the step right before that. You can't begin where you are and then look ahead. That makes it really, really difficult and you get stuck in the how.
0: Correct. And that goes back to a kind of a credo that I live by, which is commit relentlessly to your vision, but be flexible on your means, which is how- Kill my can whiteboard. Be, but be, com- yeah, c- but just commit relentlessly to your vision. It's actually part of my like personal brand statement that we work through at Brand Builders. And that's it. It's like, once you're clear and once you're all in on your vision, what you want, the path will start to emerge. But you got to get clear of the destination. The strategy, the how, that stuff, it doesn't need to take full form immediately. And frankly, it's going to change a lot of times.
1: It is. And the more that you kind of spend some time with that visualization piece, for me, for us internally, we we lean out three years. And so we get this really clear vision of three years out. The more you become acquainted with the version of you three years out, we call it the My Three Why, it normalizes it. It's not crazy anymore. When you think about three years from now and you're like, well, yeah, I've got two New York Times bestselling books. The more you become familiar with it, it starts to feel like an eventuality, like this thing's inevitable instead of something that you're scared to say out loud.
0: Yeah, you're true. That's a good point. I like that.
1: So we've got one last question we like to ask. But before we do that, where is the best place for the pivoters to connect with you, Kier?
0: Sure. Probably on, I'd say favorite platforms now, Instagram and LinkedIn. So just at Kier Weimer, my name, K E I R W E I M E R. LinkedIn and Instagram. I run a couple of businesses, again, Boutique Hospitality Development, a technology venture capital backed company called Offsite. We're building really great software in a marketplace to help businesses do retreats offsite in this new world we're in. And then just my multimedia company where we help inspire, educate, and equip people to do their best work and to live their best lives.
1: Oh, that's awesome. Okay. So are you ready for my last question yes. here? There we go. Okay. is a good one. So let's get ready. If you could tell the world one thing, what would it be?
0: Oh, that's a good one. I was not prepped for that. I like that. I would say whatever your story is, whatever your past is, it's literally just a chapter in the book that is your life. Meaning take the things, the experiences, the highs, the lows, the successes, and more importantly, the failures and pull every possible lesson, every possible thing you can out of those, because those will help you build a better, brighter, more fulfilling future. And then make sure that you get clear on what that future looks like. What do you want in life? What do you want to become? Who do you want to become? Because this world, especially this country we live in, it's uniquely wide open to go after and pursue and achieve our dreams and our vision for a big life of impact, of contribution, of fulfillment. The only thing that really gets in the way of that is ourselves, not being clear, letting past narratives get in the way and letting other extraneous things prevent us from really achieving that. So when we get clear, when we internalize and take the lessons from the past and we get very, very clear in the future, and then we just go after it, we commit relentlessly, like it's amazing what we can accomplish in this life. And every day is a testament to that in my life. And I hope in the lives of your listeners, And I hope that we can all take stock and take a moment to realize the power in that because it truly is powerful.
1: Pivoters, rewind that and listen to that again. I don't know if you call it rewinding on a podcast, but go back and listen to that again. I just may have razor phoned that. I like went back a few years in technology. That is so incredibly powerful. Thank you so much for your time today. You're a busy guy running lots of business. We're going to see each other in Nashville in just a couple of days, All which right. I am
0: Two days super big pumped
1: fans. about. Yes, with our good friend, the Vaden. So thank you, Kira, for joining us today on Pivot Me.
0: Thank you so much, April, for having me. And thank you, everybody, for being here and listening.
1: Thank you. I loved this quote. Are you going to let tragedy claim two lives or just one? Man, that is a powerful question. I don't know that I would have been able to answer that in that moment. Kier could have ran from what happened. He could have simply moved, changed his name. He put this tragic thing, this mistake, this accident behind him. He was even encouraged to do that. He was in his early 20s and had his whole life in front of him. That was the easier path, but it was the path of less impact and he didn't choose it. He intentionally chose the harder but more meaningful path, to take this experience and learn from it and most importantly, teach from it, just like he taught us today. So let's recap on some of the steps he shared to get there. So number one, take total responsibility. He said, be ruthlessly accountable. Number two, he had to forgive himself, quite an endeavor that was a long process for him. Number three, have redemption, also a difficult process but so very important in this. And number four, he moved into education and growth. He educated himself. He grew as much as he could, both in prison and outside of prison. And number five, contribution. Kier tells us to commit relentlessly to our vision, but be flexible in the approach. I'll leave you with this parting thought. When I asked him what he would tell the world, he said, whatever your story is, your past is, it's just a chapter in your life, not the book. Pull the lessons out and use it to build a better future, build better future chapters. He didn't say bury it, he said, use it. So let's not let past narratives, past mistakes limit us or they will claim more time, more responsibility, more potential in us and in others. Commit relentlessly and you can completely rewrite the end of your story. I'll see you next week. Thank you so much for dialing in today. And don't forget, make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you love what you hear, give us a five-star review. It means the world to us. Hit me up on Instagram at theaprilgarcia or check us out online at pivot-me.com. This is all made possible with the support of you listeners, the numerous contributors and our clients. Our music and production is by the amazing Rockwood Audio. Join me next time for more tips on how to hack success. And until then, make it a great day. Thanks, guys. You guys are amazing.